Welcome to No Direction, the Pathfinder News Reviews and Interviews podcast. I'm Vanessa Haskins. I'm Luis Loza. And today we're joined by uh, Logan Bonner, the lead designer uh, over there at Paizo for The Book of the Dead. Yes. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) welcome uh, back to the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. We're going to talk about creepy, crawly dead things. Really gross. Yeah. Does it like squick you out? Does it the undead gross you out? Like with the liches and the skin hanging off? And not, the... not overall, but there's definitely some where it, where it's like, oh, that's a little, that's a little much. <laughs> a little much. That, that one got me. <laughs> um. Okay. So, uh, so you're you're releasing Book of the Dead. It's all about the undead, both how to fight them, how to be them, how to be companions with them. Uh, and I have a, the big question of why this book? Why now? Of all the books you uh, could do. Well, every undead are kind of a big deal in, uh, in Pathfinder and in Galarian. Mm-hmm. Um, we decided we didn't want to keep doing just like bestiary four or five, six, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when we were thinking about like, what are some different ways we could do a similar style of book? Um, undead were like the first one that it's like, well, of course we're going to do an undead book. We got to do an undead book. There's so many undead. There's so many different things you can use them for. Um, and so it was just like, yeah, you know, it's about the right time for getting some new monsters out into the game. And we want to do an undead book. So let's look at ways we can do that and make it cool. And so it was like, well, we can let you fight undead. We can let you be undead. We can let you hang out with undead. And we can just kind of all do that in one place. So it was like, we had all the, all the technology we needed to make the book. And so it was a pretty easy sell to just be like, all right, yep, Book of the Dead, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. and, is, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, Paizo hasn't, this, this isn't new territory for Paizo. They, they've done things like horror adventures in, in first edition, mm-hmm. which I think is the most uh, appropriate kind of parallel for that. But this book is a lot different in how it's presented, how the, the theme of the book. It's written in yeah. setting uh, as a book that, that, that Geb the undead ghost leader of the nation of Geb wrote, uh, why, why the change in, in presentation and, and, and theming for the book? Um, well, we'd already like with Secrets of Magic was kind of the first time the rulebook line went into doing some more like in-world voice kind of stuff. Uh, and we started pretty small there. Uh, and when we got to Book the Dead, I think it was Jason Bullman's idea to kind of say like, you know, we, we've got a thing literally called the Book of the Dead in uh, the world of Galarian, uh, and it's written by Geb. So, therefore, it's written by Geb. Um, so, and it also kind of let us uh, give you a really good pipeline into like, if you're going to play an undead creature, here's an undead speaking directly to you. So, it was just a, a pretty natural fit. Um, 
we knew we wanted to do a little bit more of this kind of in-world stuff that's going to get you, you know, kind of sunk down into feeling like you're a part of the world. Um, and so we just kind of ran with it. And then it's like, how much of this can we do and have it still make sense? Um, and how much can we listen to Geb talk and not want to just, you know, <laughs> obliterate him from the planet and from our brains? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's actually something I, I really enjoy is how in second edition, we're seeing more, uh, I want to call it first person perspectives of characters in Galarian talking about concepts in Galarian rather yeah. than designers and, and you know, um, and game publishers talking about a game world as a game world. And I think it's really interesting and gives uh, players and GMs alike a lot of insight. So I'm, I'm really happy that's yeah. been happening. And I... Hope you keep doing it. Yeah, it's also kind of a, a general principle we want to get into is that like a lot of the first edition books, like if you go on Archives of Nethys, everything is on there, right? Every archetype from the book, every, you know, uh, mm -hmm. every monster or whatever, it's all on there. Uh, so mm -hmm. we wanted something that's like, okay, well, why do you get the book then? Like what's cool about having it as a book? And so having something you could like actually sit down and read as a book uh, has guided a lot of how we've been shifting the line and you kind of have to find this nice balance of like oh this is going to be cool to sit down and read as a book but also there's a whole bunch of stuff in it for you to use so it doesn't feel like if you're going there for the rules you get ripped off it doesn't feel like if you went there for the story you got ripped off you're getting a bunch of both very cool uh, we already have some comments in chat and if you have questions for okay. logan absolutely put them on in our live twitch chat uh first one is from Cheryl longtail just says i truly cannot wait for this book I have good news for you, Cheryl Longtail. Uh, the hardcover, special edition, and PDF all release on Wednesday the 28th. Um, and uh, Roll20 and Demiplane should have it at launch. And if you like pocket editions, that'll be next month, May 25th. So uh, yeah, this yeah. this book will be all over the place before you know it. Yes, I fortunately snagged a copy. Uh, <gasps> Ooh. There are some advantages. Um, so I've got the... Uh, the, the beautiful new book smell. Um, it doesn't smell dead yet, but I imagine if you <laughs> if you leave it in a leaky basement for long enough, it'll probably get a little more atmosphere. Right. right. Very cool. Um, wow, that is so cool. I wish I wish I had a physical copy. That's all right. Uh, I should. That actually is a good uh, moment to mention that I might have had a physical copy if I was an author on this book, which I am not. However. Uh, I have to mention, and I, I literally have to, uh, that four No Direction Network members are authors on this book, including Michelle Jones, Ron Lundeen, Jessica Redekop, and our very own Luis Loza. Yeah, Luis, hey. what did you write on this book? I didn't uh, contribute a lot. Okay. Uh, I just did a couple of monsters. I think that's the cool. thing that's making okay. the rounds right now is the grappling spirit, uh, our ghost luchador. Uh, <laughs> which you know, I saw that, that and I, I saw that, and I'm like, "This is one of the most Louise things ever." I I bet Louise wrote that. <laughs> as I, I mean, I definitely did. So like, you know, but okay. as fun as that is, that was something that was already requested in the outline, right? That that's something that Logan and the rest of the design team said. I guess we want ghosts that can grapple people, and of course, I jumped at it the, the moment I saw it yeah. in the outline. But it, it was definitely. Uh, a command from on high. It must have been a sign. Of course. <laughs> I think it was. It's, it's also, Luis fails to mention, we also had a brainstorm for Undead to go in the book. The likelihood that Luis both suggested and wrote this is also pretty high. But Mike's <laughs> error was, was I was going to say, Mike being on the design team kind of guarantees that kind of stuff. It's a coin flip, up there yeah. anyway. <laughs> That's true. That is fantastic. 
Um, so we have the, the great opportunity to look over uh, the first chapter, um, which is the prayers for the living uh, as a preview. And so we got into it pretty deeply and I don't want to rehash too much old territory for our audience specifically, but I did want to ask you about uh, just the the prayers for the living. Now, like you were saying, this is a very undead focused book um, and there was one small chapter dedicated to just fighting uh, fighting undead versus the rest of the book, which is all about being and interacting with them. Um, so what can you tell us? Uh, was I, do you have any behind the scenes information? Anything cool you want to talk about in Prayers for the Living? Um, I think Prayers for the Living was the one where it was like, we really need to get as much bang for our buck as we can. Because we knew, especially since this is sort of taking the place of a, a monster book, it's like, we got to make sure the monster section is pretty fat. Uh, and so players who are going to summon undead have a bunch of stuff in there. Players who are going to, you know, uh, be playing undead have a bunch of stuff. So it's like, how do we make sure we still have a bunch of cool stuff for, um, for players who want to fight undead? The good news there was that there's a fair amount already um, mm -hmm. in that category. So we didn't have quite as much to, to get to, but it's really like, you know, when you're picking archetypes, it's like, okay, we really got to like bullseye the ones we're doing in here. Um, so we have stuff for like, uh, Phrasma's faithful who are going to fight undead. Uh, we have like a good guy necromancer. Um, and so it was like, uh, it was really like, these are narrowed down to definitely the cream of the crop for that chapter. And I think they are. I know that we got really excited going through uh, creating concept characters uh, and trying to figure out like what we would do with these rules. And I think we each came up with some pretty strong character concepts that we could probably play right out of the right out of the gate. So that's that was quite cool. Uh, writing the the hunters for the dead section was also pretty interesting and kind of um, planning that out was cool because it was like, okay, what are the organizations that you can team up with to hunt undead? And we we got some new stuff in there too that was really fun to add. Yeah, um, some of the ones are expected, like Arc Lords of Nex or Knights of Last Wall, um, obviously the Church of Phrasma, but then you have like uh, information about Nidalee's Resistance, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, the Gloom Warders that I hadn't heard of before this, so that was really neat. And uh, of course, the, the Bright Lions uh, I have also yeah. not heard of, so a lot of really neat things. Yeah, yeah I think the, the Gloom Warders and the Nidalee's Resistance, if I remember correctly, I think those are kind of brand new. I don't think so. those have been explored much, partially because like, Shenmen hasn't been really covered in depth either. Um, the Bright Lions had been like mentioned, but only a little bit. So um, so those were all ones that we could just be like, hey, more ideas. That's what you need, right? More ideas. <laughs> more things. Very cool. Um, all right. I don't, in, I'm going to ask you then one other question. I want you to pick your favorite child. So which of these archetypes uh, <laughs> is your favorite? If you were going to make an undead slaying like player character right now which are these archetypes oh, would you geez. choose and why um, hmm. so i'll just go so, over them for our audience there's the exorcist right it's all about ghosty things the hollow necromancer is the one you talked about which is sort of the uh good aligned or good intentioned uh undead manipulator uh and a soul warden um who is like an honorary psychopomp, kind of doing the work of psychopomps, but as immortal. And then, of course, the undead slayer, who's just all about killing them undeads. I I think if I were picking one, I would probably go with the exorcist, uh, because I kind of like that you get like a little thing to play with. You can you can collect spirits and use spirits. I kind of like the uh, having that system in there and having a, um, some trinkets you can play with. I think that's a, a fun role playing hook. So I'd probably go with that one. That's very cool. Very cool. 
Well, let's dive down, and unless, Luis, you had anything else to say about Chapter 1, since we kind of covered that a few weeks ago. Uh, no, I think we are we've we can just point people back <laughs> an episode at this point and yes. say, watch that. Um, we talked all yes, about it. Talked all about it. <laughs> Uh, so let's let's look at the undead that we never got a chance to look at. Yes, uh, chapter <laughs> chapter two, hymns for the dead, where we get all the really super cool undead stuff. Yeah. So this uh, this book opens up and it's got um, this chapter, rather I should say, uh, like a, a cool treatise on necromancy. Once again, from Geb's point of view, uh, and that is just so neat. If you don't mind me asking, who who wrote all of these sort of geb pov parts were they multiple different authors or the same author? uh, it was multiple authors um i kind of i came up with like kind of the initial voice for geb and we kind of workshopped that some um uh especially uh james case took a lot of looks at him and and kind of helped help refine those uh then we passed those to the authors and then i also like looked back over them to try to do some standardization at the end so getting Gibbs stuff in there was a lot of work. Um, that <laughs> but, was one of the trickiest parts of this book was trying to make him sound like the same guy across these. And he's also, he's the same guy and he's not the same guy because these are kind of chronological uh, where he was a necromancer before he was undead. So the earliest right. ones he's writing as an a evil jerk necromancer, mm -hmm. but not yet undead. And then he later gets perspective on being undead himself. So he, his voice shifts a little bit throughout the book, too. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts going through this book. Obviously, the, the game rule information is very cool, but I really enjoyed seeing everything with Geb's perspective. And the, that personal voice is good. So bravo on that, because uh, you definitely get this sort of jerky academic vibe from Geb, which is yeah. perfect of like, I'm going to yeah. overanalyze this. <laughs> Yeah, it's also it was it was tricky because he's he's legitimately just a bad person. Like he's not <laughs> like you don't want to get too far into his head and stay there. Um, so it was kind of like he is a bad person, but he's also kind of trying to put his best face forward in this writing. And he still comes off as a jerk because sure. his best face is still a pretty jerky face. Still pretty jerky um, face. <laughs> So this this, uh, this chapter is the one that gives us all the fun undead things to play with, you know, the, the skeleton ancestry and stuff. But I feel like an obvious thing to do would have just been, all right, let's give you a necromancer archetype and, you know, the reanimator archetype and a bunch of new spells and, you know, new animal yeah. companions and stuff. So why the choice into letting players actually become undead? I think it would have been very easy to keep that something that GMs decide. All right, if you yeah. want to be a lich, if you want to be a ghoul, we're going to figure that out because, you know, for the most part, Pathfinder is a heroic game. You're good heroes. So yeah. what, what, what's the what's the decision behind letting people become undead? Um, I think a lot of that is our philosophy on doing these books. And this is true of like Guns and Gears, too, mm -hmm. where it's like if we're going to do it, we're just going to do it like we're going to do everything at once. We're not going to hold anything back if we're doing a theme book. So if we're doing undead, we're going to push the pedal to the floor and just like, yeah, you want to be a mummy? You can be a mummy. Have fun. <laughs> Go be a mummy. Right. And like guns and gears, it's like, if, if you're using this, you have all the guns you need. Like you're not going to have to <laughs> right. wait for another book to come out to have enough guns. It's got piles of guns in it. Right. Um, so it was just kind of like, look, what is the coolest thing we can do? What's the most exciting thing we can do? Uh, and one of those things on that list was just letting you play a vampire. Right. Um, so we just, yeah, a lot of it is just like, we we think we can do this and we know it's going to be really exciting. So we're just going to do it. 
And I have a couple general questions and then some very specific ones. So with playing undead, a couple general questions are first, how come all of the ways to play an undead are archetypes except for skeleton, which is an ancestry? So the the way those kind of work is you're going to die before you can take the archetype right. uh, for the for the the ones that are archetypes. So it was like, how much of the old you is still there when you make this switch? For most of them, the answer is most of you is still there. Uh, it is just kind of twisted and weird. Like if you are a vampire, that's very similar to who you used to be in appearance. If you are an elf, it's still going to matter that you're an elf. The okay. one that didn't fit that mold was the skeleton. Um, the zombie being kind of like the closest second where it's like, uh, there's a little bit of you, but it's the intelligent <laughs> zombie. So it's a fair amount of you. But the sure. skeleton, you could be a pile of bones that was given brand new sentience, or you could be yourself re you know, raised with your old intelligence. There are just so many ways to go about it um, that it did make sense that you could start completely from scratch and be a skeleton uh, just because of how skeletons work. So we decided to do it that way. Uh, it also meant that there, there were a whole bunch of fun things we could do with how the ancestor was constructed and uh, we could have a lot of fun with it. So that's, okay. that's a skeleton. <laughs> Uh, Gina B in chat asks, uh, or says rather, I was very surprised to see them as archetypes and not versatile heritages. Um, again, with the archetype, it gives you the option to just add it at any moment. Uh, why not just stuff it into one versatile heritage with maybe some special ancestry feats? Um, a lot of that just comes down to how they would appear in the game. Uh, because if you, if you get to 15th level and then you die mm -hmm. and you get brought back as an undead, and you were, you know, a tiefling before. Now it's like, well, I kind of have to pick what of my old character I keep. And mm -hmm. I, you know, am I not a tiefling anymore? So I can be a mummy or, you know, how do I, how do I build this? Um, yeah. And we wanted to make it way more straightforward. It's just like, well, from now on, you start taking mummy stuff. And if you sure. and the GM decide you, some of your old stuff doesn't apply anymore, you know, you were a cleric of phrasma, some of that's going to go away, then you can kind of do a, a bigger rebuild. But we wanted sure. it to be very straightforward with how you, um, how you take on that archetype and, you know, how it can appear throughout your adventuring career. And that, that definitely makes sense when you're talking about adding undead to an existing character and the intent that most people I think are probably going to approach this, which is, hey, you're living and all of a sudden you're not and what's left. So it's like if you're going to poke holes in a character uh, to take things out and replace them with new pieces, um, which which pieces can you sacrifice and still have the same character? And that makes sense. If you took the tiefling away from a tiefling so that they could be a ghoul, uh, you might be like, but I, I was being a tiefling was so important to me uh, versus having power attack may not have been as important to your concept. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, the, the the archetypes and let me start over. You mentioned earlier, <laughs> hey, we didn't have to to create any new tech. We had all the technology in place for the rules to work with, with Book of the Dead at this point. Um, and if you wanted to, you could have the core rule book start playing PF2 and then decide Book of the Dead is the second book you ever decide to buy. And yeah. you should have everything you need to be able to use all of these options just fine, which is great. It's amazing that you know you don't have to come up with a new system. You don't have to come up with like the corruption system from horror adventures or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, the the archetypes and the ancestry system work great for that. But were there any challenges with getting some of these to work as archetypes or ancestries? Were there places where you were felt like uh, we're kind of pushing the envelope on just what an ancestry can do or what an archetype can do? 
you know, there, there could have been spots where you felt like it could have been easier to come up with something brand new? Um, the, there are two big spots where that happens. One is just the basic undead traits kind of, there are a lot of campaigns where they don't make sense, right? Like you can't be healed. There are a lot of campaigns where the tools that are put into that adventure are not going to work for you. Um, and then there are some specific abilities within the individual ones, like ghosts being incorporeal. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, we need something in here that's going to tone this down enough that it can just work if you slap it on. Like these are all rare. So we know the GM's going to have to look at them. Uh, but the some of the abilities, we wanted a version that you could kind of play basically how you would do a normal adventure. And then for stuff like the soul cage for the lich or incorporeality for the ghost, we wanted to say, okay, if you really want to just let loose the reins and just go to town, uh, you can do that. Here's what is going to get screwed up in your game and you're going to need to prepare for if you decide to do that. Um, So we kind of did a a two-stage approach to that where it's like, okay, here's a version. The feat is just going to let you do it in a way that's, that's relatively balanced. And then uh, if you really just want to be like, yeah, you've got everything the monster has, um, you can do that at your own risk. Uh, we kind of presented stuff that way. Yeah, it's interesting because most of these archetypes have a sidebar that sort of explains, to, mostly to the GM, it appears, how to use it in a game or what to expect. And I think that's a pretty smart way to go. Um, also, I think defending some of the choices uh, for example, ghosts, I know you mentioned just being able to go through walls and the the default I'm second level and I took a ghost archetype. I uh, can't do that. You, you can't you right. can't pass through walls, <laughs> which is an interesting choice. Um, and then at 10th level, you can with a feat. So uh, it was just interesting to see that approach to try and maintain some semblance of, semblance of game balance when you're like, well, I'm I'm a ghost. I'll just go through stuff. What else? Yeah. And a lot of that is because we we publish so many adventures and there are so many other adventures out there. We didn't want you to be like, well, I really want to run, you know, Abomination Vaults, but <laughs> if if you're a ghost, then it all breaks. Um, right. So we we kind of wanted a, something in there that lets you use all your knowledge and all your uh, all your existing products and still have a pretty close to the standard experience. Ooh, and an undead-based abomination vaults. That could be really interesting. <laughs> you do lose a lot of the interaction with the townsfolk, but what would you gain? Delicious townsfolk. Delicious, <laughs> says the ghoul. Um, <laughs> another thing that I found was really interesting is that all of these archetypes for various types of undead are all available at level two, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially with playing, uh, the, like the free archetype variant, you can basically pick it up right away. And cause part of that is eh, you can give it to them at level one if you really want to. Um, so you could yeah. start off as level one, like I'm a ghost commoner. Um, I'm a ghost, uh, fighter, I guess. One thing I thought was interesting though, is the Lich is level 12 at minimum yeah. and has a bunch of extra requirements because of yeah. how Liches are, um, what made you choose that level? Like, how did how did that all come together? Yeah, that one's just all about keeping the story for the Lich the same. Because, um, okay. you know, uh, the this, this story of the Lich is that they've done all this work to become undead so that they can keep casting spells for eternity. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it's going to feel cheap if you can just enter that the same way as you become a zombie. Uh, it, it needs to kind of have a little bit of an extra uh, backstory to it. Uh, and, you know, it also... Again, if you're playing through a full campaign, you're playing this spellcaster surrounded by undead. 
this whole time, right? You're doing an all undead campaign, but this one right. dork is just a wizard, <laughs> just like just trying to trying to stay alive until I can become a lich. I'm definitely going to do it. In the meantime, here's Wait a bunch of hit 12. points with all my necromancy spells. That's right. Waiting for level twelve. Once I get there. Ah. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and I have one other thing that I'm, I might beat you up a little bit about, and I apologize for that. <laughs> so in the playing undead section, we have ghosts, we have ghouls, we have liches, we have skeletons as an ancestry, we have vampire zombies. And then later you go into grave knights, but you can't be a grave knight. What was the choice to not create like a grave knight archetype, which I see as sort of the, the martial equivalent to a lich? Um, a lot of it just came down to space. Um, we were kind of just like, okay, how much can we fit in here? Um, and that was one of the cuts we had to make. Uh, so, and then the the tiebreaker is kind of like, because their cursed armor is such a specific story and their abilities are so uh, large in scope, it was just like, this one is gonna be, you know, we're, we're gonna have to say, you can take one of these other ones to become an undead fighter and that will have to be close enough just because it's, um, it's a lot to get in there. Uh, so there were a few things that's like, you know, you've got your short list and then you've got your shorter list uh, for the, the final kind of uh, composition of the book. Okay. Interesting. They almost made the cut, but not quite. Uh, so there's, wait, wait, are there rules somewhere on a cutting room floor for no, like, no, you can not. be a grave knight? Okay. They, they got cut before <gasps> we ordered it. Because <laughs> that was actually one of the things I, I know when I cracked this book open, I was interested about, because I've always thought grave knights were just really interesting uh i i learned and found out about them oh years ago writing tome of righteous repose and it was one of my three like sister big bads because uh, they all became powerful and dead and grave knight was one of them um and i just thought oh that'd be so cool to create like to just for fun build the three sisters and pathfinder second edition with these rules but i can't because grave knight's <laughs> not in here almost uh yeah that one's <laughs> that one's a little trickier i like when you have a bunch of examples for archetypes Yes. Uh, already that you can you know use that yeah. as a starting yeah. point for you know infinite or third party yeah, version yeah. of pathfinder grave infinite grave knight mm -hmm. oh sure come to your co-workers rescue <laughs> 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 oh that's okay um very cool very cool uh some other things i just of note i thought were really neat the ghouls have a sidebar about hunger um, and that if if just being a cannibal and munching on humanoids is a little too gross, hunger comes in a lot of different ways. And they mm -hmm. uh, y'all suggest uh, ambition as a form of hunger, which I honestly think is perfect. Um, yeah. There is something about being truly and utterly ambitious where you're just not satisfied. Whatever happens, you need to get to the next rung of the ladder. You need to get more power, more prestige, more notoriety, yeah. whatever it is. Anymore. And that's something you see happening with a lot of the ghouls in the setting too, is a lot of them are pretty, pretty power hungry, really ambitious. Yeah. They get to a certain point where they're like, I can eat if I want to. That's not a problem. That's yeah. not what I'm after. I don't need a snack. I have people for that. Yeah. I have people for I, that. I literally have people for that. <laughs> literally. <laughs> Ooh. People are okay. lining up for me to eat their forearms. It's oh great. boy. Um, break out those prosthetic rules. Uh, but yeah, it's like, I, that's not a need for me anymore, but I still have a hunger and now my hunger is power or society or whatever it is. Very cool. Um, there's a day walker feat for the vampires. So you can walk around in the sunlight. That is awesome. You still get slowed. So you don't, you're not doing a lot of walking. You still got to dart from place to place. You're, you're sauntering, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you're really cool wearing your, your shades and just sort of 
walking yeah. like a cool person, obviously you're more comfortable in the dark. But you I didn't just give me alchemical cool. sunscreen to recreate scenes from Blade. <laughs> That's right, alchemical <laughs> sunscreen. <laughs> um, jeez, I don't know what to say. So those are most of the questions I have about here. I just thought it was really cool. Oh, I have one more thing that. I, I should address why we talked about it. You had mentioned the lich archetype. You had mentioned use of a soul cage. What is a soul cage? Uh, so soul cage is formerly known as phylactery. Uh, we decided to change the name because it was not really very close to what the a real world phylactery is. Um, and it was kind of just stealing a real world term and misusing it. So right. we were just like, let's, let's call it something else that's more descriptive of what it is. And allows for all the different forms that those have taken throughout uh, throughout our products and yeah. uh, all the infinite imagination you can bring to those. So it was just like, uh, that was a pretty easy one to just kind of be like, let's let's shift away from this term. And uh, it's and it's not fully, uh, it's not like the term phylactery is banned. We still have things that are phylacteries in the game, like the phylactery of faithfulness. That is a lot like an actual phylactery. Hmm. Um, so those are kind of a, it's kind of getting used in two different ways. One of which gotcha. is accurate and one of which is just kind of Gygaxian, I guess. Right, right. And so now we're getting rid of the sort of misuse of the word and replacing it with soul cage, which uh, honestly it sounds like it would work much better in a heavy metal rock song. So I think it's probably a pretty good choice. By a band called Lich. By a band called Lich, that's right. A lot easier to rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> Logan, we're going to make you choose again. We oh, have okay. six different undead archetypes. Which one mm. of these would you feel like you'd want to play or even oh, become? And dun, why? Dun, dun. <laughs> uh, uh, this is one that I, I really feel like it's going to depend a, a lot on on my mood and which character I'm uh, uh feeling like playing at the moment i think right now i would probably go vampire mm -hmm. uh there's just a lot of different they work in so many different situations and i'm feeling like a more complex character right now if i were on more <laughs> of a like i just want to play a barbarian day i'd probably pick like a zombie but the vampire <laughs> is speaking to me today okay i think vampire would be my choice as well like to be like i don't know young and beautiful and brooding for the rest of my life yeah okay i can or the rest of my death i guess Sure, I can. I can do that. How about you? Yeah, that Luis? just leaves Luis. Uh, I'm really into ghosts. I don't know. It's just you can be a ghost and uh, just kind of hang out and not really <laughs> have to worry about like. Um, it feels like ghosts get less of a bad rap compared to the rest of the undead. So I'd rather just be kind of left alone. And if I'm a ghost, that's a lot easier <laughs> yeah. to pull off. You get a lot more sympathy as a ghost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, and now with the rules, there there's rules for like moving, uh, like instead of being bound to a site, you can be bound to an object, which I thought was interesting. Uh, especially I'd be bound to a bicycle, so I can just go wherever the heck I want. <laughs> just right on the yeah. bike, and, <laughs> and you're like, uh, okay. And all of a sudden, people are like, "Well, we're gonna go over here and like jump in the car." You're like, "I can't. I got a bike over there. I'll see you in a couple hours." Yeah. <laughs> I could coast on a bike. Oh my gosh. Uh, Cheryl Longtail says, "Gotta go, Lich." Always. Gina B says, uh, "Starfinder." Uh, taught me that you can make a ghoul, a pretty ghoul. That's true. Maybe I'll be a ghoul. I do like to eat. Um, <laughs> all right. Depends how is. much variety you like in your diet, I think. Oh, I do have one very important question because mm -hmm. this introduces weirdness. Okay. It appeared to me, and maybe I missed it, that by the rules, you could theoretically get more than one undead archetype. 
Is this is this true? Could I be a skeletal uh, ghost lich? Probably. <laughs> I, I'm sure we went through that. I would have to check back into it again. Um, or is one of those one of the possibly. things that your GM will have to stop you from the ridiculousness of being as many different types of <laughs> undead as you can all well, at once? I, I mean, they are rare for a reason. Like your your yeah. GM is always going to have approval of whether you can take sure. a, a rare one. Um, I, think, I think a lot of them have specific prerequisites. Yeah. Like the vampire, you have to have been killed by a vampire drinking your blood. The zombie, you died and were animated as a husk zombie. Um, so, so like here's one that you could you could argue you could do. The mummy is you are dead and were mummified. So if you got killed by a vampire drinking your blood and then got mummified <laughs> and then rose from your sarcophagus, you could possibly be a vampire mummy. And you're but also you really to, good at being a wizard. There's a big level span there. <laughs> you're really good at being a wizard, so eventually you also became a lich. Yeah. Well, and there are certainly ones like, uh, yeah, the, the lich one is tough because you have to be living to turn into a lich. So that one's is oh, okay. actually maybe one of the harder ones. Gotcha. Uh, um, I'm, I'm excited for a game where I hit level eight, take my new dedication feat, and unwrap my bandages to reveal I was a vampire all along. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. No, it just took a long time because of the mummification for the actual vampirism to like set in. Mm -hmm. And then you wrap it back up and just leave the fangs sticking out. Yeah, absolutely. I got really comfortable with these bandages. I don't want I don't want people to see me. I happen to be a vampire. I'm just here we go, just fangs. It's fine. That is hilarious. At least it would protect you. You just got this big red stripe down your your wrappings. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right, I'm gonna be grossed out for a second. Oof. That 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 surprised me. I was not ready for that one. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's fine. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, moving on from being undead, which I really kind of want to do after this conversation because that would be fun. <laughs> Even just for a one shot to just sort of be like, yes, I have done that. Especially if I can. Even if you can only be one of them, not not a not a combination. No, I want to be a combination. If I'm going to do a one shot, yeah, no, I want a combination. (laughs) I want to be as many as I can. Stack them. A Dagwood sandwich of undead. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Give me that that mile high sandwich of undead, all the different types. Uh, People in chatter are going on about the different ways they might be able to to combine them into different and terrible types of undead, Um, both terrifying and just just bad. So, okay, so after we, after several pages of some very, very cool uh, undead abilities, which are already super powerful because of all of these immunity to death effects and protection against poison and disease and all this stuff that just makes you very powerful, um, we go into uh, a section called Ghost Stories, which is all about telling the stories. That's kind of a cool section. That's where you talk about it. What? Uh, it's a, it's a really small section. It's only one spread, but I just thought it was neat because it, it definitely adds into that. All the things you want about undead in this case, just yeah. like uh, recommendations. Yeah, and, for and this one, this one in particular, it's like, it's kind of a different style of like an adventure. So you can kind of take some of these lessons and apply them to writing your, your ghost story adventure and, and using those in a game. Or if you're playing a ghost kind of, you know, how you interact with other people can be colored by the ghost stories information. Yeah, it's very cool. I'm just glad it's there. I don't know. I, I love stuff like that because as you read it, uh, I guess as an adventure writer for me reading it, I, I start thinking about, ooh, ooh, this is what I could do with an adventure like that. And I start, my brain starts going down this path. And I think a lot of 
you know, home GMs who homebrew a lot of stuff will really enjoy, even though it's only two pages, it's got some really great stuff in there uh, just to sort of get your imagination going about the possibilities. Uh, speaking of which, our next section is haunts. Yeah, uh, a big full pile of, of undead haunts. Uh, yeah, this is one where, uh, you know, we've we put haunts in the core rulebook. So because they were they were popular and and fun to use in first edition. So it's like, OK, let's put these in the start. And we've got a couple examples in the core rulebook. And then there was just like, you know, it's a book about undead. So here's a whole pile of uh, of trope filled uh, <laughs> haunts to stick in a haunted house and uh, and make creepy things happen. So. Yeah, it was, uh, that, this is another one that was like, this is kind of a no-brainer to put in this book. Uh, and then, you know, you you know this section is going to be in here. And then there are some surprises within this, like the the cattle stampede of ghosts and uh, some of that other uh, little more out there stuff. One thing that was interesting to me, so from a storytelling point of view, I look at the various types of hazards and we have like mechanical hazards, which is like, you know, Ewoks killing stormtroopers, and that makes some sense. And you have magical hazards where the wizard wants to protect, uh, you know, their their tower or something. And you have haunts, which are all supernatural wooginess and strangeness. What do you see as the three differences from a mechanical perspective? Like how how does each serve the game differently uh, from a, a game mechanics point of view? Um, most of it is how in how you deal with them, who's best suited at dealing with them. Uh, so the the mechanical traps are kind of the rogue's domain. Uh, the magical traps could be the wizard or the cleric, you know, whoever is kind of taking some tools to deal uh, with, you know, kind of dispelling magical things. Uh, then haunts are really more in the like the the cleric and possibly, you know, a more social character because some of them are like ghostly intelligences. Um, and then like environmental ones are, you know, the rangers. Uh, or druids bailiwick so a lot of it is just kind of like what types of characters do i want to be good against this type of threat um and especially like with the haunts here um because there's such a wide variety of them that's not strictly true in every sense sure Um, some of them it's going to be you know you're you're going to be using something else but a lot of it's going to be using religion or social skills and um there's a lot of haunts in here it's it's very much yeah Reminds me of all the the hazard section from the core rulebook and some of the other, you know, uh, Game Mastery Guide had some where it's just like, here's here's a bunch of stuff you could use and examples. And there's, like you said, there's a lot of tropey ones in here that are good. I think starting points, even if you're like, well, I want to do this, but I don't want to do it at level three. I want to do it at level six. At least you have sort of a yeah. template for what that might look like. Yeah. I want someone to weep tears of blood but not at level 10 yeah you can yeah. you can scale need, it up or down i need low level blood weeping tears <laughs> what do those do um so i think that's pretty cool what is your favorite haunt in here if i if i might ask oh geez um it's, you know this is gonna happen I, over and over i'm just hold on let me, let me check everything ahead but i have to pick a favorite monster there's so many um, read all of them <laughs> well i have i have opinions on the monsters <laughs> Well, I think there's a reason I had the bloodthirsty toy illustrated for the like horrible yes. teddy bear. Um, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, uh, I, that, that's one that it's like, uh, that's that's just a, an extra degree of creepy. So I like that one a lot. Yeah, the bloodthirsty toy. It's the kind toy. of thing, it's like, I know this is coming, but I'm still gonna, oh, yep, there it is. It's still still terrifying. Uh, even though I, I knew if I entered this child's room, it was gonna be terrifying. 
Yeah, and you could you could do an undead puppet, but why do that when you can just have it be a haunt where it's like sometimes the toy is just a toy, but sometimes. <laughs> yep. Very cool. Hey, Luis, what do you think about haunts? Uh, haunts are great in that they they feel like they're more suited to help tell stories on their own, like independently a, a, a haunt compared to just here's a spear trap or here's the sphere of annihilation or whatever um they 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 come with a, a lot of story potential uh figuring out what's causing the haunt and how you can solve it you know becomes its own little quest on its own as opposed to i'll just roll a couple theory checks which i think is always uh, always fun so you can have a haunt that isn't even necessarily like evil undead spooky thing you know just weird stuff going on tied to strange events that i think leads for a lot of cool narrative potential that was one thing I was thinking about too, though, when I saw that there's rules for like moving haunts and where they're where they're stuck, where they're located. Um, and I think a lot of it was talking about having like a ghost companion or like a ghost that's anchored. But it, I don't know about haunts specifically, but it talked about that. And I, I thought, well, if you can re-anchor this like necromantic energy, you know, this this twisted, corrupted spiritual energy to something else, and I could take it off of, oh, I don't know, the well that keeps flooding and sucking people in to murder them and i could like i don't know take it out to sea and then like cast it into the deeps and then it's like now it's now it's you know aquatic elves problem yeah i <laughs> don't have to deal with that <laughs> the players will probably use that that ritual to circumvent haunts it's like this freaking flooding well keeps coming back and it's driving me crazy <laughs> put it on a piece of copper throw it in the ocean uh all right so the next we have chapter three, the Grim Crypt, uh, which is kind of cool. Tell us about the Grim Crypt. What is what's going on in this chapter? Uh, so the Grim Crypt is a whole pile of monsters. Um, it's got a, a wide variety of undead. Uh, part of building out this book was looking at every first edition undead we'd done and just being like, okay, is this one? Does this one survive outside its native environment enough that we should bring it into second edition and, and use it as another undead? Uh, and another part of it was like, okay, what are some ways we could make this a little more interesting, especially when we have like uh, uh, undead that we're expanding? Because a lot of it is like, okay, we've got we've got those vampires, but what about additional vampires? What about additional mummies? Um, and one of the ways we did that was with these sections by Geb talking about you know mummies in this case, giving you a little more context about what mummies are like. Some of those undead that are really like this isn't just a one-off. This is a whole concept that we want to cover. Uh, so we did these these expansive sections on those. Um, and yeah, so it was really just like, a okay, we got to make sure we get the greatest hits in there. And then we're going to look for other undead concepts that we can uh, bring into the game. Uh, some of these are, are undead from different cultures. Some of them are ideas that we had in brainstorms. Um, and then there's like, you know, an undead book. That's that can be really depressing. It's a lot of dead people, a lot of people who died in horrible situations. Mm -hmm. And so like, we also wanted a few like, okay, here are a few more lighthearted ones. So we've got like this undead musician, yes. we've got an undead swashbuckler and the, the undead, uh, the grappling spirit. Those are like, okay, this is, this one's a little more fun. It's not quite <laughs> as, as, uh, you know, depressing as, uh, you know, these, uh, the, the coach that's going to come and take your soul or right. things like that. So, or this okay. immolated uh, corpse. So speaking of the really fun, kind of almost silly undead, we have the fiddling bones you just showed us. 
We have the taunting skull, which is literally just a flying skull that makes fun of you. And we yeah. have a ghostly pirate captain. I think all we need is Guybrush Threepwood and we have a perfect adventure. What do you think, Louise? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you got it. It's perfect. Do we want to do Monkey Island as a Pathfinder Second Edition campaign with all the <laughs> with all the ghostly crew? Because that sounds like a really fun one shot to me. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Guybrush is a bard and Governor Marley he might be is the, a swashbuckler. He, he might be the hardest to 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 stat up because he's kind of classless. Hmm. <laughs> well that's I suppose that's what I was thinking bard, but I guess bards in second edition do have a bit more uh, bent to them, a bit more focused flavor. But yeah, maybe a rogue, ah, like a social rogue. But yeah, I saw those as I was going through and I'm like, wait, what is going on here? Someone is a LucasArts fan. <laughs> um, oh, one thing I noticed that was really cool. So you have all these undead in here. There's a whole category. Uh, that is renamed and much like a lot of second edition is, is doing, they're taking uh, these old concepts and giving them cool, shiny, new, awesome names. And so we used to have nightshades, right? Which are those powerful undead born uh, on the edge of the, the shadow plane and the plane of negative energy. And that's that kind of liminal space is where they call home and they have a new name. It's Darvaka. Am I saying that right? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's made up. So sure. Say cool. Like. I'm going to say Darvaka. So what was the, um, what was the impetus behind renaming these specific creatures? Um, so for a lot of creatures that had come from three, five, um, it was like, is this such a thing that it doesn't make sense to, to make it more pathfindery, Or is it something where it's like, there's, there's a gulf in the lore here and we could do something different with them and kind of make them a, a little more our own. Mm -hmm. uh, so something like, you know, a rust monster, it's like, it's, it's pretty well covered, right? It's, it's a rust monster. It's, it's, it's whole thing is, is set up. It's still going to be a rust monster. Something like the nightshades, their lore in, in like the three, the third edition three, five version was so thin. They were just like, they felt very much like, okay, this monster is in here to fill space. And, you know, there's plenty of stuff to build on with them. Uh, and so it was like, okay, let's take the cool parts about them and then flesh them out with more world lore, give them a little bit more of a personality and a place. Um, and I, I believe, I think Jessica Redekop was in charge of these and did, oh, you know, okay, cool. uh, did a whole, you know, uh, reassessment of what they could be. I think I, I changed the name. So the names, like some of them are half hers and, and half my alterations. Um, but like she did a lot of the work of making these kind of a, a class of their own. Uh, oh, cool. So there was a lot of that's just like, okay, if this is something we want to keep using, let's kind of put our own stamp on it a little more um, and make it less of a pun and more of a, uh, uh, a cool uh, world lore thing. Uh, so we went with a, a new treatment for him. So the big thing that I found most exciting, I mean, I love all these undead, you know, 100 pages. It's the, the grappling undead. spirit. It's, no, Don't not you... the grappling spirit. It is... <laughs> Is honestly the the at the beginning are the two pages of the adjustments, the undead adjustments mm -hmm. that you can, you know. Oh yeah. If you, yeah. If you remember first edition days, we used to call them templates. Uh, you mm -hmm. slap on the ghost adjustment, and suddenly you can turn any creature into a ghost or into a zombie, um, which I feel that are just super helpful for both yeah. GMs and also adventure writers. Uh, <laughs> to be yes. fair, um, <laughs> it's always useful to do that. It, it feels like uh, Chewie hasn't had too many adjustments so far. We 
I know for sure we've always had the elite and, and the weak adjustments. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of uh, creatures that you can make by kind of following some steps here and there uh, in the bestiaries. But um, why, why the decision to suddenly, you know, give you a bunch of adjustments? And are we going to see more adjustments in the future when it makes sense? Um, I think we are going to see more when it makes sense. The main thing here is just like, I think especially like as adventure writers, the two of you can probably uh, have had this experience where it's like, I just need a damn like vampire dog, whatever. I don't, I don't need to build a whole <laughs> new monster for this. I just need a dog that sucks your blood. Uh, so this is, it's really based on the the need of game masters and, 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 you know, adventure designers. It's just like, look, sometimes all you need is just to make a ghost real fast uh, out, out of something else. It needs to be a ghost pirate. And, you know, if there hadn't been a ghost pirate in here, you could just take one of the pirates from sure. uh, game mastery guide and slap ghost on it. Uh, so it's really just to make these things as fish, as efficient as possible, uh, kind of the same way the simple templates in first edition worked. Um, and this was the spot is just like, okay, let's give you a pile of these. Um, I think future books that are themed in a similar way are going to have more. Um, it's a, a, a part of our design space that has a lot of room to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was a spot where it's like, you know, because it has such a strong theme unlike you know, best area three, this was a spot where we could do a bunch of them and it made a lot of sense to put them in there. Yeah, I, I think the, the weak and the elite templates are really great for adventure writing when things are just off a little bit and you're like, well, I don't want this fight to be too powerful or too weak. You can adjust it a bit. So that's great. Um, and I'm really glad to see these in here as well, uh, because as adjustments, uh, previously called templates, uh, they're super easy to just slap on a creature and, and get what you want, like you were saying. Uh, one thing I was curious about is what did you learn from the weak and elite, excuse me, what did you learn from the weak and elite templates or adjustments, I should say, um, similar to the Pathfinder First Edition templates that helped design all of these adjustments? Um. I think they they were fairly straightforward, really. Like most okay. of it is, um, you know, it's uh, so many of the the ability changes are just kind of like just get the bare minimum uh, impression in there. And because we had the elite and weak, we kind of knew this one didn't have to do that same type of work. So it's like, okay, what do you really need for this to feel like a mummy? Okay, we'll do just that and and call it done and get out. Like don't don't overdo it. Mm -hmm. um, make it easy to apply, easy to use in the middle of a game session. That's the main thing is just making them efficient. Um, and sure. the other thing uh, you'll see in these, there's not like, uh, we've got the undead adjustments, which is all you're doing is making it undead, just make these few changes. Gotcha. Uh, but then in the individual adjustments, we repeat those because we don't want to have you in the middle of a session trying to make mm. your vampire dog and having to go to two different places Yes. <laughs> well, three different places because you're looking at you know, your writing dog and then vampire and then undead. So it's right. just like, okay, everything should be in one spot so you can just grab it and go. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the main thing is just is just making it comprehensive and efficient. Uh, we also, for the Book of, Dead, Book of the Dead battle cards, uh, we put the adjustments in there too. So you can just have it on a card and slap it down next to, you know, your, your open bestiary or next to a, another battle card and just make the thing on the spot book of the dead battle cards what i hope we announced those if not you probably could have guessed nah i think they're on the release <laughs> schedule but that's very cool uh it's very cool also because you're like all right so there's definitely gonna be monsters in the book of the dead sure 
Uh, but it's also neat to, to see that these adjustments are going to be sort of noted so that, like you were saying, you can just be like, here's my writing dog, here's my vampire, boom, vampire dog. And let me say, I, I do really appreciate uh, Paizo's new strategy uh, in second edition where the, you're not afraid to repeat rules. Um, so many times, I think in first edition, it was like, well, we wrote that once and we don't want to waste more space on these rules, even though it was, you know, 20 pages back, eh, you could go find it. Uh, it feels more like in second edition that it's like, okay, um, it doesn't matter. Every time the rules are relevant, we're just going to tell you again so that you don't have to remember that, oh yeah, that was on that other page. Yeah, we try to do that whenever we have the space for it, Yeah, uh, especially for stuff like, you know, you're looking up an archetype. We don't yes. want you to have to open the advanced player's guide and... Book of the Dead and the core rulebook to understand right. what you're looking at. Yeah, you can just uh, see it all in one place. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. Um, just a quick shout out. The Bone uh, Croupier is a, a <laughs> undead gambler. Uh, yeah. And if you were playing an Outlaws of Alkenstar game, I would, if, if I was running the, uh, an Outlaws of Alkenstar game, I would pick the Bone Croupier up by their scruff and put them right into the adventure because... Oh my goodness. I don't know exactly where they would fit either, but they're just so cool. This like undead gambler who's like, I got all these cool undead powers, but I don't need them because I'm just going to, I'm just going to gamble for your soul and I will win at cards and you can't stop me. Yeah. The Bone Croupier is one that appeared in an AP. There are a few, there are a fair oh, number of pickups in here. Most of them are pretty much how they were like the Gashadokuro and the Jongshur are also pickups. Uh, the Bone Croupier changed a bunch because there were some problems that came up through play. Uh, and so we kind of rejiggered it to be a little more uh, to enhance the gambling theme and have it um, have it work a little differently. Um, so it's kind of a, a, a pickup and a revision uh, in that case. Interesting. Where did that come from? If you remember, I'm just curious. Uh, Extinction curse. Oh, okay. That's interesting because I'm playing that. And I don't remember seeing it and it's level five. So we must have missed it. I think it might just be one of those fun back matter monsters that's there to be like, look, oh. here's a, a new monster just for fun. Here's a yeah. here's a thing just for fun. Um, looking through here, a lot of the different types of undead, like liches and mummies and things, are repeated again, but as uh, as creatures to fight against rather than become, which is pretty cool. And yeah, a lot of these had um, like they appeared in Bestiary one or two. Uh, so like ghouls, more ghouls, vampires, <laughs> two new categories of vampires. Uh, whites, more whites. Uh, so some of the ones <laughs> that really have like cultures and multiple different versions of them, uh, we wanted to expand on in here. And uh, we got like the Lacedon and a priest of Cabriri for the ghouls. Uh, yeah. And then you can like build your whole little ghoul uh, uh, guild or something like that. <laughs> ghoul guild. Uh, there's some, uh, go ahead. I, I particularly appreciate all the extra abilities that you give for some of these creatures. Like there's mm. a lot of new lich abilities so you can make them more yes. unique um and so yeah it's just nice to see that kind of thing and it, you know i i think in future books if they were themed like this i'd love to see more expansions like that just to make more interesting creatures right yeah seeing the yeah. suddenly there's a, a defensive version of the uh grave knight as opposed to one that's you know more focused on attacking it's just yeah it's fun it's great it's it's a great expansion yeah, and, and then as far as we we knew we knew like Luis was a likely candidate for the grappling spirit. <laughs> Jason Bowman was doing some writing on this, so it's like, well, we know who's going to do liches because uh, right. he loves the stuff. Um, so yeah, he had a lot of fun with these. Uh, there's a lich that has more skeletons inside it; it can just kind of uh, pull out. Uh, there's a rune carved lich that is kind of kind of Viking looking uh, in here. 
Um, so they're pretty fun takes on the lich and then like Luis mentioned a bunch of extra lich abilities so you can uh, have your lich animate their soul cage or uh, you know do do other cool new abilities Uh, we're coming close on time so I want to finish up some stuff but shout out to the raw nerve which is literally just an undead nervous system including brain which is something I don't think I've seen explored before but that is gross yeah (laughs) That that one just came out of like well, we've got like the shred skin that's just skin. They've got these muscle ones. Wait a second. There's more body parts. Uh, so it's like, yep, you know what? Now it's the nervous system is going to come kill you. And Gosh. Voltron, all the undead to just make a person. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, or in reverse, a ritual to take a living person and turn them to all the different parts of undead. That's true. And, and that can be an encounter. Person. Yeah, just one person, one ritual, boom, you have an encounter. Uh, one thing that I definitely wanted to uh, mention is with all of the different variant types as well, you have uh, the Zhengxi vampires um, as as creatures, as monsters, but all of the player-facing fo- options are like the more Morai-based vampires. Was there a reason that there weren't more Zhengxi type of uh, options in the archetype? Uh, yeah, that was just like we would have had to add uh, another whole section. It's just like we don't have room. Um, that's one that's like uh, we tried to get in as much stuff as possible, but it's, you know, if we get an opportunity in the future, that'll be a good uh, yes. spot to expand. Because, and part of that is like if we're adding the juncture, we, we've also got uh, like three other types that we published, and we kind of, right. you know, have to do all of them. And it's like, well, we ate four more pages in the vampire and now we don't have room for anything it's one of those kind of situations well with needing all the extra room i'm thinking book of the dead too but you know that's maybe that's just me i don't know <laughs> see if chat thinks that's a good idea um i did have one other final question uh before we let you go here and that is um so we have we have a whole section on undead around the uh, world around galarian which is fantastic and then in the back chapter five is called march of the dead and it's a little adventure uh, for level three, and I was, I was very curious uh, that why the choice to put an adventure in this book as opposed to keeping the adventure separate. Um, so that that's one of uh, Jason Bowman's uh, parts of this book. Okay. Um, he wanted to do an adventure. I think the the main impetus is kind of um, have an adventure in a place that we know just a ton of people are going to get it, a ton of people are going to play it, and just mm-hmm. kind of have this shared experience of you know different game tables have all been through this, this, you know, horrible undead meat grinder. Um, and, and just kind of can, uh, can have this, this, this large scale shared experience in the same way that we know a lot of people have played, you know, burnt offerings or the fall of plague stone because of where they came out in the adventure. This was like, well, you know, what do, what do we get if we put one in, uh, in one of the core books in the, in the rule book line, uh, and, and see what happens. So uh, we're, we're curious to see what happens when people start playing that one, because uh, okay. it's like a little bit shorter and a little bit um, evil and, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and painful. Um, so we'll see, uh, see what people think of that one and uh, what kind of experiences they share as they pick this up. Interesting. Uh, chat is excited about the potential for a second book of the dead. Dead Phoenix three says <laughs> Geb doesn't sound like the kind of guy who would write a second book. Mm. <laughs> But Jaina B says the book two can be Tarbafan's point of view, which is. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 that would be really neat. He seems like more of a doer than a writer to me, but it, it yeah. could happen. 
That's true. He's like, I, I'm busy becoming a god. I don't have time to write a yeah. manual. Figure it out. <laughs> I could see like Cortash Kane or somebody like that doing one. Uh, you know, or a, a higher up in Urgothoa's organization. Uh, sure. Getting, getting the right one. Well, uh, fantastic. Um, we're right up here at, at 10 o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, mention or shout out to before we let you go? Um, you know, I, if you want to hear more of my ideas, I'm on Twitter at Logan Bonner. Um, you know, uh, let me know what you think of Book of the Dead, uh, especially once you start playing with it. You kill somebody with one of these undead <laughs> monsters or you, you, know, you turn into a lich. Uh, let me know uh, some of your experiences with it. I'd love to hear them. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us here on, on No Direction. Uh, we'd love to have you back in the future when more awesome content releases. And yeah, for uh, sure. all right, well, go enjoy your evening. We'll chat with you later. All right. Thank, thank you. you, Logan. Bye, Thanks. everybody. Bye. Hey, did you know that kobolds are clever and mischievous? But have you ever thought of them as cuddly? Well, you will after you see the Gallant Goblins kobold plushies. Coming to Kickstarter or already here on Kickstarter uh, and, and already funded. There are six color and class combos planned with swappable accessories and clothing to create your very perfect little adventuring party. Uh, sign up for the Kickstarter today at koboldplush.com to get a free bonus digital one shot when you back the project. Koboldplush.com. And I just, I love this. This is Roy. He's adorable. <laughs> I can help it. He's so cute. <laughs> He sits on my desk and watches me work all day and is like, you should be casting spells and lighting things on fire. <laughs> all right. You ready for the news? There's a few things to talk about. I think so. All right. Pathfinder news. Pathfinder news. Pathfinder news. Pathfinder news. So I think the biggest piece of news, at least the first piece of news, the thing that just strikes me is that hours, less than a day, like 12 hours after we ended our last show, our last live <laughs> show, they announced Foundry support for Pathfinder products. Yes, um, official it, partnership between Foundry and Paizo. <laughs> who could have seen this coming? Who, who would have known? Who, who would have known? And it's one of those things that I had honestly been expecting for a while, right? Because you're mm -hmm. like, here's this really big virtual tabletop with really good Pathfinder second edition support. Uh, and, and like, why don't we have official products, please? Uh, and here they are. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Turns out the answer is because it takes a little while to get all those things moving, right? Businessy stuff. <laughs> and, you know, it turns out that the, the, the great people working on these packages are going the distance with, with the, the foundry packs uh, that they have high res art for their maps and mm -hmm. sirenscape sound sets and fully like set up the lights and walls and everything. So like, it's way more than even I would prep and I like over prep on, on my own <laughs> gifts. Right. Foundry can do so many things. It's, it's one of those like, and, and I, I love me some real 20 world 20 is my first virtual tabletop. I'll always remember her. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think world 20 is still fantastic. Um, in a lot of ways, especially when you're like, I just, I just need a, I just need a virtual tabletop so we can all look at the same screen. It doesn't have to be super fancy. Foundry to me is the fancy version, right? It, it does take a little extra setup, but it can do so many things. It mm -hmm. has all this like very cool custom light controls that are right in there and the ambient sound and everything's built in and ready for you to, to just do it. And then things that are like, uh, okay, I really wish 
Um, we could have vision based on the rules. Well, guess what? They're part of the core now, but for a while there was a module for that. You just download and install the module and boom, now vision's based on the rules. Um, and it's just so cool. Just so cool. Yeah. So that was announced the day after the last episode. And since yes. then has already released its first foundry pack with, with the form of the, the beginner box set. Uh, so if you go on yes. the Paizo site right now, you can find the link to that uh, and purchase it. Right now, I think it's $25. I think there's kind of a, an early bird discount for a couple of bucks and you get a, a bigger discount if you already own the, the beginner box PDF. If you don't, I think once all the uh, technical kinks are worked out, you don't, if you buy the Foundry pack and don't have the PDF already on your account, you, you do get a copy of the PDF and that's going to be the case for any of the, the Foundry packs for the adventures. If you buy the, the pack, you'll get a, a copy of the PDF. Oh, very uh, as cool. part of that which is you know a great deal you, yeah. you get the adventure ready to go and also pdf so you can you know read up on it and, and know what you're looking forward to and the thing is that it saves you so much time uh mm -hmm. that is like the one big complaint using virtual tabletops of any ilk is all of the extra setup time because if we're sitting around a table and just being in person uh you know i, I have hand-drawn maps or whatever or i have them printed or something but like it's like okay like, eh, i don't have to do that much setup i grab my giant box of minis and i find proxies and it's no big deal but i feel like for the virtual tabletops there's just there's a lot more prep time um yeah. i'd say two or three times as much as you're like making sure the grid is aligned on the map and you gotta import all the stuff and make sure the stats work and pff, there's and a lot of stuff all the walls and put all the lighting if you're into that i i <laughs> reached the point with my home group after this announcement came out uh, I, I have a home group that I'm running through a 1E campaign that I'm converting the 2E. So that's even more work. Oh, geez. Uh, yes. I'm just like, guys, I might just like say we're canceling this and do one of the pre-built ones, so I don't <laughs> have to prep anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, I haven't done that yet, but there was just like a, a moment there. It's like, just the, the enticing idea of like, I wouldn't have to prep anymore. And that just sounds so great. Well, I'm in the middle of running Abomination Vaults, and I'll tell you what, I, I am honestly considering just buying the Abomination Vaults, even though I've prepped most of it already, mm -hmm. um, and like gotten it to a, a level of playability that I can live with. Um, sometimes I'm like, oh, I never got art for that monster. Hmm. Well, eh, well, we'll just go with it. Uh, but like just the idea of having it all done for me just sounds great. So the only prep I have to do is like, all right, especially because it's a dungeon crawl, I read the like four or five rooms they're most likely to go to next. And that's it. That's my that's my prep is just rereading rooms and being like, oh, that's right. That's what that creature is. And that, that door's locked and that one's not. Cool. That's all I need to know. And everything's done for me. It's very cool. So I'm, I'm excited about this one. Mm -hmm. So we have Abomination Vaults uh, is going to is out or going to be out. Uh, it's outlaws. coming out with the release of the compilation, the hardcover compilation. Which is next month. Yeah. So I think you'll get okay. when you buy the, the Abomination Vaults pack, you'll get all the levels, all the dungeon, oh, all ready to go. The entire AP all at once. Yes. Very cool. Uh, I am 99% sure I'm going to be doing that. Um, and then there's Outlaws of Alkenstar also. It's going to be uh, going to be released, which is cool. Yeah. You you get to have the very first official AP uh, Foundry pack because it's right. your Adventure Path volume. Uh, yeah. That's the, very cool. I think every volume is getting its pack, uh, I think, day and date uh of release for the actual adventure so i think you, you know as soon as an oh, adventure's shoot. out you should be expecting 
you know, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, the team can keep up with that. But I think every yeah. adventure will we'll have its pack ready to go when 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 it releases. So, And I don't remember the official street date for that, but I do know that subscribers are already getting PDFs because people have already started asking me questions about punks in a powder keg. They're like, on page 15. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's next week, next Wednesday. So, okay. Yeah. You can Very look cool. forward to that, one of those every month. From More questions. <laughs> well, that's really cool. And then, of course, the beginner box that we talked about. So that's mm -hmm. Foundry support. I think it's huge. I think it's really good. Yeah. It comes just in time. There was a, a module called uh, PDF to Foundry, yeah. which was really cool that would that would actually scan your PDF and extract the text and art and stuff from the PDF that you fed it, your watermarked PDF, and put it into Foundry, mm -hmm. um, which was pretty cool. Uh, and it was all scripted. It was someone that just basically figured out how to do it and scripted it. Um, and then I, it was so much work, as you can imagine, that he finally went, you know what? Mm, I'm not going to do any new stuff. Like, whatever I've done is done. Uh, and it was a really great thing to have. And it's just this is coming in at perfect timing to be like, OK, cool. So there will be no more PDF to Foundry ones. But now we have official Foundry support with like sounds and lighting effects and everything. And everything already has full art. And you don't have to be like, well. I got some of the room descriptions, but I still have 18 more things to do. So that's pretty cool. Uh, it turns out Fry Guy, the, the user Fry who guy. was doing the, the PDF to Foundry, even like extended the work he was willing to do because he, he was kind of going to call it quits uh, a, a little while back, but decided, oh, this, this thing's coming down the pipeline. I'm going to keep going all the way through Quest for the Frozen Flame because then you have an option on Foundry to play any AP at that point. And the PDF to Foundry is still going to exist. You can go back and use that and all the... You know the the current way PF2 works on Foundry, from what I understand, is just going to remain the same. You just have this option to buy the very fancy version if you really want. But if you want to continue doing things the way you've been doing them, you can keep doing that as well. Yes, yes, very cool. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, official Paizo tells us that Wednesday, April twenty seventh, is the official street date. I think that was for Outlaws of Alkenstar that people are already yeah. starting to get their their and and Book of the Dead and Book of the Dead. So yeah, yeah. big big day. You can play your skeleton gunslinger uh, oh. on Foundry with the official pack. On Foundry, that's right, <laughs> with all the official stuff. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's so nice to be able to just be like, eh, I'm going to do this whole adventure path and it's already prepped and I don't have to do anything. And like very professionally. Um, cool. So other news. Other big uh, news. Uh, PaizoCon 2022, there's a big update. Uh, the hotel mm -hmm. block at the Doubletree is now open. So if you are going, you can get a cool hotel room. Um, and the tickets, unfortunately, so, so what they did with the tickets is if folks had, uh, 2020 tickets, they, uh, said, you know what, we're going to hold those for you. And if you want to go in 2022, if you want to go this year, you can just go. Uh, and if you don't, we'll give you a refund. Cool. But they also decided to, you know, for the safety of all those attending, not only is it fully masked, but, uh, only 500 people can go like that's the cap. Well, apparently so many people from 2020 wanted to go that, that they're just running into that 500 person cap and are still processing things. So for the foreseeable future, it is unlikely that they will have tickets to uh, to sell. They're basically pre-sold out from the, the 2020 ticket holdover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, digital ticket sales are up now, though. So if you want to you know, stream yeah. and, and be part of the, the digital experience for that, uh, that's available to you. Uh, I think signups for games are happening in just a couple of weeks as well. Yep, so look everything starts for, in May. For GMs can sign up for their slots and then players can join up not too long afterward. Uh, and I think there was an, a, one other piece of news with PaizoCon 
uh, in which uh, Paizo announced who the guest of honor is. Um, let me see who, what does it say here? Vanessa Hoskins? I'm, uh, I'm having I'm having trouble with my, my camera. I don't know. Hmm. I, I, maybe I should disconnect now. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you know who this is? I think that's that author from like back in the one E days. Never heard of her. Never heard of her. Oh boy. That's so Jeez. exciting. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I am, I'm still, uh, I'm very honored mm -hmm. uh, that they asked me to be guest of honor. I'm still sort of trying to accept that this is a real thing and that I'm not just going to wake up tomorrow uh, and have it be like, oh, that was just a really vivid dream I had. Um, so it's, uh, it's still sinking in, but yeah, it's, it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, I was planning on going anyway and they were like, Hey, do you want to be our guest of honor? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I had to freak out for a full hour, just walking around my house and like walking up to my wife being like, they invited me to be a guest of honor and then like walking away, <laughs> uh, before I could calm down enough to write an acceptance email and be like, yes, I would be pleased to be. Please. <laughs> I'm just be very professional about my my squeeing. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> but I am still just I'm full of excitement mm -hmm. and, and anticipation and anxiety. Official Paizo says I'm so chill. Yes, I'm not. I have zero chill about this. I'm uh this is just really cool. It's one of those things where like, I don't know. You go to PaizoCon for the first time and you're like, oh, that super cool person's guest of honor. What did they do? And it's like this like giant list of stuff, you know, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Wow, they're super cool. I'd be cool if it was me one day. And then all of a sudden it is. And you're like, how I didn't do that many things. I just didn't. You look at this giant laundry list of stuff. and You're like, oh, dang, it's been a busy <laughs> few years. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really cool. Uh, and I'm now rambling because I am nervous <laughs> well i i'm i'm excited for you to be there and uh hopefully I, I mean i've seen the schedule uh what? at least in you know no maybe some of the things you might be doing but if you have any other i don't plans, even know yet uh you know you could run an <laughs> author game or, or um you know just hang out on the couch and have everyone come by and tell you hey i liked your adventure <laughs> yes that is very cool uh, one of the things that is important to me is nerdy fashion. So I've already started to like, I've ordered outfits or accessories to make existing mm -hmm. clothing into like, I'm like, I'm trying to walk that fine line between a little more elevated than just regular casual clothes, but not formal and not too like cosplay and nerdy. I need to, I need to find that liminal space between casual and cosplay. That is just like very geek. Cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you could, um, you get yourself a wayfinder make a wayfinder and i think that'd be pretty geeky without having to like fully commit to a full cosplay because you can be any pathfinder you wanted you could be you know now i need to make a wayfinder i do have <laughs> hold on i do have oh, where is it i'm looking forward to have a whole drawer of stuff I can't find it. I do have uh, a friend of mine made me a Starfinder, uh, a Starfinder badge, mm -hmm. which Does is pretty cool. Does that have the RF chip? I don't think it has an RF chip. Okay. But... I've heard of some people making those that also have an RF chip and then you like tap it and it tells you like who their character is. Like it give, pulls up a little ID card for their, their uh, society stuff. That is so cool. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't have that. Um, but I do have just a, <laughs> just a badge that's like a pin that I can wear. In fact, I have a picture of me in this shirt, my my Pathfinder shirt, wearing it with my hair like in a big thing. Anyway, it's very cool. I will probably wear that at some point uh, if I remember to bring it. Um, but yeah, oh yeah, I could. Mm-hmm. You gotta you gotta plan. I mean, it's coming up pretty soon. I know. I'm like, I need three really good outfits for like mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then a really comfy shirt for Monday morning when everyone's just like, yeah, it's the last thing and I'm getting breakfast and I got to catch up. I don't think Monday is the last day this time around. I think it's just three days. It is just three days. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be hanging out obviously on Monday, but I don't think there's going to be games or other. What's what I mean? Like Monday Monday is usually like from my my previous Paizo cons Mm -hmm. is like when everyone just goes to the hotel restaurant to have breakfast. And it's like everyone that's so dead tired after three days of running around and getting no sleep and just pure adrenaline and they're like okay i'm just gonna eat these eggs and go catch my flight i'm just gonna be yeah. chill <laughs> enjoy my cup or, of coffee Ciao. or man it's just sneak in one last game before you go <laughs> oh my gosh that has happened mm-hmm. i've walked down to get breakfast and i'm just like i just need coffee and a sausage uh not like that and then like i see and there's people that are like rolling they're like okay anyways and i'm like are you playing are you playing again like, yeah, we're playing another PFS scenario. You want to join us? And I'm like, I <laughs> I got two hours of sleep last night. I don't, what? I don't even know. <laughs> They're great. It's amazing how, how dedicated people get. Sometimes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love PaizoCon so much. I've been looking forward to this uh, since it was announced that it was going to be in person again. And I need to see people because I am an extrovert mm-hmm. and I need to see people. Um, so this is going to be a lot of fun. I am looking yeah. forward to it. And I'm jealous that you already have the schedule when I do not. <laughs> well, I have a preliminary schedule. Obviously. I know. You're I know fancy. some people at Paizo. What? Oh, you yeah. should introduce me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anyone at Paizo. Just kidding. <sighs> Very cool. I think um, that's all the big news that I can think of. Uh, yeah, Paizo just Town a- and Foundry. Those are basically the two big ones right now. Um, other things out this month, uh, Punks in a Pyder Keg that we talked about uh, comes out next week. And I am very excited, or two weeks, I guess, from now, the 27th. And I'm very excited for people to have this. I know, as I said, people are starting to get the PDFs and ask me questions. Um, it is a ridiculous romp. It is so much fun. If you want a Yahoo gunsling and outlaw game with just like edge of your seat, fun and uh intensity then that's that's what you're gonna get so i hope a lot of people play it and like it and that's coming out um also appropriate the guns deck and the gears deck are coming out and and that's always something that's weird it's like we have guns and gears the book Mm -hmm. but it's very purposeful to be like here's the guns section yep uh and here's the gears section Uh, Mm -hmm. and like they're both technologies, so they're in one book, but they're very separate to make yeah. sure that... I mean, they're, they're two different flavors. I mean, they're like, sure, there's flavors that go together really well, though. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just interesting because it's like you'll have some gems that are like, I definitely want clockwork, so we're doing gears, but not guns. I don't want guns in my fantasy. And then you have people that are like, yes, guns, magical bullets and everything. This will be cool. Clockworks, steampunk. I don't know about that. Um, so it's just interesting that they're separate. And then the the decks are also separate. So if you're one of those GMs who's like, I only want the gears, you can just buy that deck and you don't have all those filthy gun cards. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really hoping that the gears cards include a card for warp, the the inventor's little robot. 
Yes. Um, I, I don't, it doesn't need to have any stats or anything. Just like a card. It's like, look, it's worth. And I can just kind of like keep it up next to me. <laughs> uh, so that's what else is coming up this month. We're at the end of the month. So that's most of the things in May. We've got quite a few things. Abomination Vault special hardcover we talked about. Um, we have Knights of Last Wall, which we're going to be doing a preview on our next episode, May 2nd. Mm-hmm. So if you want a special sneak preview tonight's last wall, um, I have peeked at this book and it is gorgeous. It is beautiful. It is everything I want out of a Knights of Last Wall book and then some. <laughs> There's been a lot in- of uh, fun previews for the art uh, on the yes. blog the last oh, couple of weeks as well. Yeah, the art's beautiful. I mean, as always, Paizo is fantastic at hiring and, and getting really, really fantastic artists to just make beautiful, amazing characters and things. I'm always impressed. Um, but also Knights of Last Wall goes into the nitty gritty on certain historical events uh, surrounding the Knights of Last Wall yeah. and the Knights I mean, of Ozu. Not, not necessarily a pretty history for some cases. It really isn't. And there are details that I did either. I did not know this. And they're coming in. because I, I, can't, I can't spoil it yet. On the second, I will talk more about it. But there are details that either I did not know before I read it or... Um, are are new revelations mm-hmm. in this book that are are never before heard bits of lore that I am just mind blown about. So we will definitely talk about that on May second. Uh, we have the Starfinder Drift Crisis, which is huge, and I know yeah. that's a Starfinder stuff. So if you are also into Starfinder, definitely check out our No Direction Beyond show next Wednesday, uh, uh, April twenty seventh, when all this other stuff comes out. Um, Because we will be digging into the Drift Crisis then. It is, it is, it is mind-blowing. I have never seen a tabletop RPG company do something like this. And I am not being hyperbolic. It is a very ambitious thing that they're doing as a one-year event that affects literally all of Starfinder. And it is so cool. So definitely join us uh, for No Direction Beyond on the 27th to hear all about that. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I want to mention in May... Uh, is that there is a, a Pathfinder Adventure Shadows at Sundown coming out. What do you know about Shadows at Sundown, Luis? It's it's set uh, in Corvosa. So if you've missed Corvosa or really loved it from um, Curse of the Crimson Throne, uh, this is your chance to kind of go back and see how things have kind of shaken out in the past, I guess, 10 years after the the events of that AP. Um, mm-hmm. You know, meet, meet some great maidens and have a good time. Obviously, it's just 64 pages of relaxing and no problems at all just meeting with old friends uh, surely it won't be any combat or <laughs> any problems that come up at all yeah i'm sure i'm sure it'll be just fine well that's cool i like that we're revisiting like old ground to sort of mm-hmm. check in with them and see what's happening so that that sounds like a really fun adventure i i hadn't dug into that before uh, this conversation i'd seen that it was there and i was like ooh. Yeah. I saw Corvosa and I saw that it existed and I was like, I need to go check that out. So thank you. That I am now, I am now much more interested in it. I'm like, I think, I think that's one of those adventures that I'm, so I, I ran Curses of the Crimson Throne and absolutely loved it back in the day. Oh, yeah. And I think it's one of those, like, I know a little bit because I can't, can't avoid it. Just, you know, <laughs> the, the, the way things work. Uh, but I'm trying my best to avoid as many spoilers as possible, just so I can check it out myself uh, when it comes out next month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if there's like fun rules that, that come in that book, but I'm sure if 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 there were ever a spot for things like, uh, I don't know, Grey Maiden stuff, that's probably a good spot for it. 
It'd probably be a pretty cool spot. We'll see. I, we will all see together when that comes out. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. I think that is all of our news. Do you have any shout outs? Uh, shout out wise. I mean, I wanted to shout out to all the, the people involved with the, the Foundry partnership, right? There, there's so many... I know Andrew White is internally one of the people that was kind of spearheading that, or at least, you know, biggest champion for that. And you know, of course, the licensing team and marketing teams with that. There's so many people involved and it's turned out so amazing. I got myself the, the beginner box pack. I know I probably could have asked someone to, to get that, <laughs> um, but I wanted it to support um, the, this whole process. And it, it's just yeah. beautiful and, and fantastic. So I think anyone should who's interested in it should check that out and of course the other thing i want to check out or shout out is next week is um beginner box day uh which is you know organized by the pathfinder 2e subreddit uh they're working to try to give everyone a, a taste of pathfinder 2e so they have 50 odd gms running several slots for for the beginner box for people to try it out um i'm sure right. if you asked around they might be able to like I you no know, guarantees, but I'm sure if you ask around on the subreddit, uh, someone might be able to sneak you into to a spot there if you're trying to try out 2e, or um, you know, yeah, you can probably get a group together there that that could still run it, especially with, with how easy it is to put something together with with the VTT options out there at this point. Well, that's what I was thinking about the beginner box is mm-hmm. especially because like it does all the setup for you and and it's really easy to sort of clean the table off, so to speak, because yeah. you can just make a new world load in that module, boom, you're done. It's setup's complete. And I can run it for a whole new table and I don't have to be like, hold on, where did I put that handout? It was here. So you can just be like, cool. All right, more people. Let's let's try second edition together. And I think that's a really neat uh, product to have in a virtual tabletop. And I really hope, um, like, I, I don't know how many of those will happen at say PaizoCon, but I think Gen Con is also just a really right place, especially in the digital front to be like, Hey, anyone who just wants to try Pathfinder, here's a bunch of GMs with, you know, the, the beginner box virtual tabletop as well. So there's, there's some ripe ground there in the future to just get folks to see what Pathfinder is all about, um, without a lot of, uh, like backend prep effort on the GM's part because of this. So it's pretty cool. Um, I definitely wanted to sh- I, I know that they're a sponsor uh but the Gallant goblins uh cobalt plushies is doing so well uh numbat 18 tells me that they have unlocked shep the green cobalt um so there's yet another color and cool cobalt to play uh or to play with little little cute guys uh, they're up to nineteen thousand dollars of their four thousand dollar goal this is a very successful kickstarter um and it's so cool that they've just got everything unlocked and uh, not everything, but like so many things unlocked uh, up to the $19,000 level. And it's, it's so cool. They get all the way to 24,000. There's yet another cobalt plushie. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, I'm excited. Can you tell? Yes, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, they're adorable. I've got my pledge in, so I'm looking forward to that, but I got to decide like just how many plushies am I uh, allowing myself to get? Right. Yes. <laughs> Well, um, they gave me this, this cool red guy, uh, mm-hmm. Rory, who I love. He is adorable. Um, and he is definitely going to have a place of honor in my house. And I talked to my wife about getting more. And she gave me that eye that's like, how old are you? And so I think she said as long as I had a place to put them. So now I'm trying to figure out how to rearrange sections of my office. So I have somewhere to display all of them. So I, I'm allowed mm-hmm. to purchase them. Uh, but I also got some other cool stuff. I got these goblin gold tokens, which are great for like hero points or whatever. Um, they're just like really heavy weight. They're really thick. 
good hero points that are going to slam down and make a nice sound <laughs> at the table. Uh, and then these cute little, I don't know if you like pins, these cute little pins. I got a cute little Rory pin. It's adorable. And they have all the different colors. And then I dropped it. Anyway, it's very cool. Uh, number 18 suggests net hammocks for all the plushies. That is that is not a bad idea. Net hammock. Yeah. And that is about all of the things, I think. Luis, you know what we just did? Uh, we talked Book of the Dead. We, we well, can't yeah, speak but... with dead. <laughs> More generally, we had a very, uh, I think, of another successful episode in a direction. I'm pretty happy. Yes, I'm pretty absolutely. pleased with ourselves. <laughs> so um, where, where are we going next then? So if, if you are having fun chatting with us and want to continue to do so, uh, we have an after party episode uh, for the patrons private sanctum and it is on our discord for no direction. And you can get to our discord if you go to no direction podcast.com and click on the discord link uh, and find one of the chillest, coolest places to talk about all things uh, Paizo and Essence 20 um, as it happens to be. And you can also join us there. Now you have to be our patron. Uh, but the cool part is if your Patreon account is linked to your Discord account and you are our patron and you are on our Discord, you'll automatically be invited to the patron only section, which includes us chatting about whatever it is you want to talk about. Absolutely. And I, I hear there's rumors that we might have a special guest tonight, even at the oh. private sanctum. Who? We'll see. That's just, just, just some rumblings. We'll see if anyone does show up. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I'll be there and I'll, I'll see. I'll, I'll be excited if, any, if no one shows up. And if it's just us and our patrons, it's still going to be a great time. Now I'm now I'm suspicious. Mm-hmm. Now I'm suspicious that Luis okay. is like, I know something you don't know. I'm like, oh, geez. Oh, I think I think our, our patrons would also know potentially. So uh, if, you're, if you're a patron, you might know what I'm talking about. So look forward to, to that if it, if it happens. Um. Weird. Every everyone but me knows the answer to this question. Apparently. It'll be it'll be exciting. You get to be surprised for, with with something. Okay. All right. I'll, just, <laughs> I'll accept it. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, um, I'm trying to. You've got me so confused. I can't remember how we end the show. <laughs> uh, I think we we tell people that you know you're Vanessa Hoskins. This is true. And then we, then I say I'm Luis Loza. Also true. And then I think we then note to people that if you need to find the path, you 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 need no direction. You need no direction. <laughs>